Uh, we got Dan on the line. What do you want to ask him? So would you be able to share what's sort of your process for um, raising money for your deals? Yeah, I think the best way to start is to just talk to your your sphere of influence, as people like to call it, right? Your friends and family. And that's a huge thing because they already have that first level of trust with you. So really, you know, starting with that friends and family sphere of influence, and, and you'd be surprised how many, if you're successful, they're going to tell their friends and their colleagues mm-hmm. and say, hey, best with Jalen, because, you know, I just made 20%. I'm making 20% return on this deal. It's unbelievable. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. Got another great show lined up for everybody today. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. Uh, once again, two great people on the line with us. We've got a guy with a ton of experience in this and other other you know related businesses, uh, Dan Odabashian, and a very motivated and energetic aspiring investor, Jalen Brown. So bios for both these these gentlemen are going to be in the in the show notes. So if you want to learn more about them and their bios, check out the show notes. But you know that said, Dan, you're going to be in the hot seat first. So welcome to the show. All right, thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, thanks for taking time to being on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so let's let's start talking about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your your background, and what led you into multifamily. Sure. Yeah, it's um, somewhat of an interesting story. I've I've been told. You know, I graduated from NYU in 2005 with a degree in finance accounting, and uh, you know, did some various internships and such on Wall Street. I, I really thought that's the path I wanted to go down, and. It turned out it, it wasn't quite as exciting as I thought it was going to be. Not not like the movies it was a little boring, to be honest. In in you know in my mind, so uh, you know at that point in time, online poker was was booming pretty hard, and uh, I had gotten into that. You know, was dabbling in that a little bit, and was actually able to to earn some significant money and forego you know jumping into a typical day job. So decided, you know, I knew that was never really going to be like a, a career, right? Um, I was 22 and didn't have many responsibilities. And so, um, you know, decided to make a run at it and and did, did quite well, you know, well mm-hmm. enough to start looking at, you know, three, four or five years down the road, started thinking and looking to ways to invest the money I was making mm-hmm. into business of some sort. And, you know, I've, I've always had an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindset and always had a little interest in real estate as well. So, so, you know, kind of started running some models with my finance background and on, you know, investment properties. And at that time, you know, in our market up here in Albany, New York, capital region, you know, you could, you could find some, what appeared to be very profitable deals. And uh, so decided to buy, you know, a few couple, two families, three to be exact. And, and uh, I lived in one and, you know, was had was still, you know, making money playing poker, but the industry was was declining due to government regulation and a few other factors. So I was managing those properties myself and enjoyed it somewhat, you know, mm-hmm. it got me out of the house doing things around the properties. And, 
you know, started to realize that I wanted to scale up my own, like a large investment portfolio. So then also realized that, well, I I can't do all the management work if I want to own a hundred units, right. Or even 50 units. So um, started a property management company and um, started taking on some third party clients and basically grew that company in parallel with my investment portfolio over the course mm-hmm. of five, you know, five to seven years. And, um, you know, we currently manage about 300 units, about a third of which I have ownership interest in mm-hmm. and um, actually expanded the company into um, a vertically integrated, you know, si- situation with a brokerage and, and a management nice. company and also an acquisition arm. So, you know, we have a team that's that's working on raising capital for acquisitions and and doing real estate syndications now. And you know, the the larger deals I did coming up were weren't quite your typical syndication. They were technically JVs that yep. that were, but you know, friends and family capital that invested with me um, mm-hmm. that that were you know passive partners, but not in in the legal sense. So you know, over the last couple of years, we've we've started growing the the capital raising side, the syndication side into like a more formal acquisition mm-hmm. side. So, you know, that's where we stand today. It's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's a lot, you know, there's a lot going yeah. on between three separate things. So. Yeah. And you, you got your hands, hands into several different aspects of the business. And uh, I'm assuming there, there's a lot of synergies there. You know, you, you have your own management company, you know, managing your assets plus other people's assets. Um, you know, I think there, there's a lot of, lot of wisdom there. And, and quite frankly, one of our, you know, one of the things that I think we've had the most difficulty with was, is just the management, you know, of the properties, the professional property management. But, uh, you know, you, I mean, you, you basically control both arms of that, which, you know, like I said, I think it's a, you know, really smart way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a huge selling point for an, a potential passive investor. That's one of the first questions we get on an apartment deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Who, who's managing these properties? Yeah. Well, it's our guys. Like, I'm, you know, we have yeah. mid-level management. We have, you know, uh, maintenance people. We have leasing agents. We have everything. So everything's all under our hood. We don't, we're accountable for everything. And that's a big, you know, in an investor's mind, I feel like that's a big, you know, positive. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely, definitely is. I mean, if you've got the management company already set up, you're, you're controlling you know, you, you have a lot more control over the investment property or the investment opportunity itself, you know, because you're, you're, you're able to not just manage the managers, you know, from a, um, you know, client relationship, but you're, you're doing, you know, you're, they're, they're essentially your employees on both sides of the fence. So that said, um, just, and just for, for the listeners, you know, we had one of your partners on the show, you know, not too long ago. Um, yep, when Matt. did you and Matt come together? That was about two. So Matt was basically uh, the mm-hmm. key uh, person I partnered with to start the formal capital raising, mm-hmm. uh, indication arm of the company. So that yeah. was about uh, 18 months ago, two, two years ago, um, okay. right around, you know, right before the pandemic. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and for, for listeners sake, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw a link to the episode with uh, Matt Widermore in, into right. the, uh, the comments. He's also on the, an ask the expert episode and, you know, really, really smart guy. So, um, you know, very much appreciate you coming on the show too. So, um, so let's, let's talk specifically about, you know, one of the deals that you guys have done, you know, pick, like I said, like I said, before we recorded, you know, pick your, your first, pick your favorite, pick your most recent, you know, whichever one you want to talk about. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll, I'll I'll pick what I think is the most interesting. You know, I was lucky mm-hmm. enough along the way of of building up the management company and acquiring active cash flowing apartment. I was lucky enough to get into some some development projects of new construction, adaptive reuse construction. Um, you know, we did we done some smaller things, but the biggest one was um, we converted a sixty thousand square foot old brewery in downtown Albany. Um, mm-hmm. That was operating as a oil and gas distribution company for the last 50 years mm-hmm. in 75 market rate luxury uh, apartments, which also had a micro unit uh, element involved into it, which is which is pretty, you know, new to the capital region area. I know some yeah. larger larger metro areas they've been doing it for years, but um, so you know pretty interesting on a lot of levels. There was, we syndicated four and a half million dollars worth of tax credits on that deal mm-hmm. to provide, you know, the bulk of the equity. Um, nice. And uh, learned a lot. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't typically like to dive in head first on things because you don't know how shallow the water is, but I would say that one, that was a head first dive into the shallow end. And uh, luckily, you know, was able to, to not break anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't have a lot of prior experience in construction. I didn't have, I knew nothing about historic tax credits. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I could do enough research on micro units to know that that they were going to be a hit in, yeah. in this area. So. Now, now, I've heard a lot about the micro units. Um, you know, what, what are the square footage of your micro units? Yeah, so ours were, you know, we actually had three different... Um, mm-hmm types of unit and the smallest ones ranged from like, I think the smallest one was high to was like 275 square feet. Mm-hmm. And, and those went up to about 400, 425. And then we had mm-hmm. another level of like, you know, which wouldn't typically be considered a micro unit in like the five, you know, mid five to 700 square foot range. And then mm-hmm. we had some, you know, a, a few bigger units that were, you know, eight, 900 square feet. So, okay. yeah. And, right, and, yeah. and you know, coincidentally, the micro units were the first ones, like the 275 to 400s were the first ones to go because our market, our rental market has a big population of, you know, medical students, law students, a lot of yeah. higher level um, graduate programs, governments. So a lot of single people looking for housing um, that aren't necessarily going to be here super long term, maybe three to five years. Yeah. Um, so micro units are total you know, and it's, it's a growing trend among the millennials you know and one thing you, and, and you've, you've done this obviously is keeping your pulse of what people are looking for and you know a lot of millennials are, are looking towards that you know they're, they're looking at okay we don't i don't need all of this space you know all i need is a bed you know yeah. a, a small kitchen and you know I, I can live with that and it gives you a lot more bang for your buck from their perspective as well so you have some of these younger professionals coming in um, they want to live close to where they work, but they don't want to spend the big dollars. And it, it's it's a perfect solution for them. Um, and, and you were able to come in and capitalize on on that growing trend. And, you know, not surprisingly, those are the first ones that rented out. So, yeah, and, um, you know, it was interesting in talking to the banks when we were underwriting and underwriting for the construction loan. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it's always tough to get a bank to wrap their head around something that's not you know, status quo, right? right. Especially in our market. So, you know, the question kept coming up, well, the price per square foot is this, and that's insane for this market. And and mm-hmm. I just said, look, it's renters don't think in terms of price per square foot. They think of how much am I paying for this apartment? 
Yep. And we're actually able to offer lower rates for those micro units than any like standard one bedroom new construction apartment elsewhere in Albany. You know, those are going for about those will start at anywhere from 13, 14, 1500, where mm-hmm. ours are starting for, you know, 950, a thousand, just because we're able to get more units in. And that's a much more attractive price range to a graduate student on a fixed income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they, they got, you know, it, it was tough, but we got it done. And, and that's exactly, they don't think about how much they're paying per square foot. They think about how much they're paying per apartment. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's exactly right. You know, and um, ha- having been a graduate student once upon a time, you know, I think uh, um, you're, you're not too far off of what the, the, the footprint of an average dorm room is. When, when you look at that from, from that aspect, it's, it's basically an off-campus you know, dorm room to, I mean, just to put things in perspective. So, all right. right. So, um, you know, one question I, I really like to ask everybody and, uh, you know, you're not going to be an exception. So, so here it comes. What is your big burning? Why? My favorite question. Yeah. <laughs> when I, I first heard this question a couple of years ago and, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't understand it and I think I understand it a little bit better now, but, um, you know, I like to answer it in two, two parts, like for me on a personal level, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every, every day is just really interesting in what we do. You know, there's no, you're meeting new people, there's new challenges. Um, and, and I just, for me, I just kind of need that stimulation in my life. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just the way my mind works and, and that keeps me, you know, going. Um, but you know, on, on a more like higher social level, I think it's just, it's for me, it's really satisfying to own, manage, create spaces in mm-hmm. community I'm living in. Um, you know, I walk by my apartment. I live in, in downtown Albany. I walk by a lot of my apartment buildings every day that we own and manage. And, and just to have, you know, a positive impact on, on people's personal lives. I mean, I, I always say to people, what's different about real estate? You know, they, we talk about like collections and management and, mm-hmm not like we're a credit card company or a cable, you know, internet company. Yeah. If you don't pay the bill, you can just turn it off. Right. These are where people are living. So there's yeah. a certain, there's just a whole nother level of, of social responsibility that's involved with that. And that, that does definitely gives me some gratitude, you know, yeah. you know, so, um, so that's, that's kind of my why. Um, yeah. and, you know, and that's, that's one thing, um, you know, I wish I, I wish I was closer to the apartments that we own, you know, but, uh, I, I can't imagine, you know, being able to walk by those every single day and just say, Hey, look, that, that, that's something that I'm doing. I'm, I'm providing housing for all of these people. And, you know, it, it is something you can, you can absolutely be proud of and, and, you know, Good, good for you to be able to see it every day. I mean, sure. that, that's amazing. So another question I ask everybody and uh, just, just to see what's on the, the horizon for you, what's, what's next coming up for you? Yeah, we, you know, we got a lot going on, a lot of new stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've recently delved, dabbled, you know, dipped our toes in the water of the RV park mm-hmm. campground world. Um, we, we first, we purchased our first campground in early August down in the Western Catskill mountains, it's called covered bridge campsite. And, um, that that's a pretty interesting property. It has a mile of frontage on the willow Mock Creek, which is mm-hmm. a famous trout fishing stream in the Hudson Valley. Um, and, and that area is actually unbeknownst to me until we started, you know, we dove in there, uh, is 
credited as the birthplace of American fly fishing. So a lot of history there. Yeah, a lot of, and yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. And you, so we get a lot of, you know, fishermen, there's a lot of hardcore fishermen. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people it's, you know, an hour and a half, two hours from midtown Manhattan, depending on traffic. Um, so we get a lot of, you know, city folk just looking to escape. Mm-hmm. There's no telephone service really. So a lot of people looking to escape. It's, it's really more of a rustic campground than your traditional RV park of what you mm-hmm. think of, you know, RVs stacked up. Yeah. Um, and there's 48 RV sites, 22 very popular camping sites. So, um, you know, we took over and, and are implementing somewhat of a development plan with renovating some bathhouses and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a ton of forestry work. We implemented an online uh, booking system, which we saw immediate returns on oh, yeah. uh, August, September, and October, like ex- well exceeded our expectation of, of what we would have gotten. So, so, you know, we, we really see a great opportunity in, in this asset class because um, mm-hmm. what was happening was the apartment deals, cap rates were getting compressed. Uh, we yeah. saw we saw near, you know, downstate New York City money coming up to the Albany market and investing in cap rates that they were comfortable with. And so, you know, the RV park, the seasonal RV park campground model is a great one because, um, you know, a lot of the, you have the seasonal camper component that pay all the money up front before the season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no collections issues. Um, and, and it's just a different, it's a, a different ball game because it's people who are vacationing and, yeah know really are enjoying being there and and you know they're there to for to to vacation and enjoyment so just a lot you know different attitudes than than managing somebody's domicile so to speak yeah i mean a lot lot of fascinating things about it um and you you mentioned seasonal uh, do do you guys keep it open over the winter i mean I, i imagine if you did you you probably wouldn't be full every time but uh what do you do in the off season with that uh, it's completely shut down. So the season mm-hmm. is May through October. And right. there's a few different reasons for that. One being obviously the weather, the Catskill Mountains just gets absolutely, you yeah. know, pounded with cold and, and snow. And um, B, basically the way it's zoned and the, and the permits through the Department of Health um, only allow for the, the six month okay. season. So, you know, that also affects things like operating expenses, like taxes, insurance as well. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, you, know, you see some benefit on that side of things as well. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Um, you know, I, I remember Matt talking very briefly about it, but he didn't go into a lot of the details, but uh, I, I grew up, you know, fishing for trout in, you know, Utah mountain streams and whatnot. Uh, sure. But, yeah. uh, you know, maybe, maybe one of these days I'll, I'll come out there and uh, go to the birthplace of fly fishing. So absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I'd love to have it. Yeah, it'd be great. Well, that's it. We're going to shift gears right now. And uh, we've got Jalen on the line. So Jalen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, first question for you is going to be the same as the first question for Dan. So, you know, please tell us about, about yourself. You give us an idea of your background and, you know, what's gotten you into uh, apartment investing. Yeah, my name's Jalen. And um Similar to Dan, I went to college, studied finance and real estate, and um, worked a little bit in the corporate world as well. Uh, most recently, I was an asset manager at a multi-billion dollar private equity firm, and mm-hmm. we had um, a few billion dollars of um, industrial and multifamily assets that I was um, able to help manage. And you say it like that, it's no big deal. It was just, just <laughs> a few billion dollars worth of assets, so... 
Um, anyway, I go ahead. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, it's a good point. It's sort of once you start working with the larger numbers, uh, you sort of get desensitized to a lot of the little, yes. the smaller things that um, investors like us really want to go after. Mm-hmm. But before that, I also did underwriting for a multifamily syndicator. And mm-hmm. right now I'm trying to break off and do my own thing. And my target markets are San Antonio and Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been sourcing and underwriting deals, but don't just have one quite yet. <laughs> Still yeah. working on it. Well, your your professional experience, you know, lends itself very well to this business. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, something about that that billion dollar comment I made when I first started getting into the business. You know, a million dollar property, you know, looked like it was too out of reach for me. You know, just just because of the relative sticker shock once you once you get into a seven digit number. But uh, um, I, I think having having worked with those larger numbers is going to put you ahead of a lot of people because you know, you're you're used to working with big numbers and it's not as you know scary so to speak. You know, and I'll be honest, I think there was there was a lot of intimidation on my end when I when I started looking at you know properties that were like six, seven, eight million dollars worth. And you know, now we own a handful of those. But uh um anyway, I think like I said, your, your professional experience so far is you know lent itself very well. Um so what is what is your motivation? What is your big burning why? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, it really is just financial freedom. Mm-hmm. Um I never really realized this until towards the end of high school once I discovered uh like many other people, rich dad, poor dad. Mm-hmm. Um I read it uh, really quickly. I think it just took me a couple of days and a lot of things sort of started to make sense for me. Um, you know, growing up, my um, parents, you know, they would lose their jobs. Um, we'd um, be struggling and it wasn't really mm-hmm. easy for us. And it was hard to understand because, you know, they would go to work all the time. Um, they'd show up every day, they'd come home. But after all that work, they weren't really getting to where they wanted to be. And I realized that's not really the life I want to build for myself and my family. Mm-hmm. And you sort of need to do something different if you want to have different results. And yeah. that's my life for um, multifamily investing. You know, I, I have had a similar background and uh, something you said reminded me of something I said when I was, I don't know, I imagine I was probably, you know, seven or eight years old, you know, just, just. And incidentally, I was, I was really good at math when I was a kid. And I remember asking my dad once how much he made, you know, his, what was his salary? And he said at the time, you know, I make $30,000 a year. And this is 1980 something. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not that young anymore. But, uh, um, and I remember just doing the mental math. And I said, wow, dad, you know, in 33 years, you'll be a millionaire, you know, and just seeing his expression, you know, it was just like, it was almost like, you know, I, I thought it was the ama- most amazing thing. And I think his expression was like, yeah, that's never going to happen, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, see, seeing parents and, and stuff like that, just, yeah, you, I, I think uh, your parents always want a better life for you. And I think a lot of people, you know, same thing, want a better life for themselves and, and, and for their children too. So, um, well, that said, let's uh, let's do what we can to help you, help you out here. Uh, we got Dan on the line. What do you want to ask him? Yeah, so I know you have a pretty similar background to me, Dan. You went to NYU, um, one of the most prestigious uh, colleges in the Northeast. Um, and I'm assuming you built a pretty good career for yourself before diving in. So what what really made you or really pushed you to start multifamily investing? Because so many of the people I really meet with, um, they sort of work in the industry for 10, 20, 30 years, and 
they sort of build a career out of it, but then never end up really owning anything for themselves. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, it's funny because when you, when you said what your why is, that's probably how I would have answered that question when, when somebody asked me when I was in your position, right? It, you know, what really drove me was that financial freedom. And, you know, I saw, I had uh, like an opportunity that probably 99% people in this world would never have to, you know, a leg up and inside track on like high level wall street jobs, um, or, you know, get, you know, breaking into that world. Um, so it would, you know, it was, it was definitely a, a tough decision. Um, but I saw a lot of my friends and, and, you know, classmates at NYU who were just miserable working <laughs> eight, like literally 80, hundred hours a week, seven, you know, seven days a week. Yeah. And, um, you know, for me, I, I just thought there, there has to be a better way. And, and that coupled with, you know, the, it wasn't after my coursework and, and, you know, doing some internships and spending a little time in that world, it, it just was a lot less appealing to me than, you know, I initially anticipated. So it, I said, I gotta, I gotta figure out a different way here. And, uh, and that's kind of, that's, you know, how, what my mindset always is when, when, and I think it's a good way to approach things if you're getting frustrated or, or, you know, you know, bored or complacent, um, you got to take a step back and, and really evaluate what you're doing with your life and, and your career and, and anything really. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, solid, solid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess so shifting gears a little bit, I know you mentioned you're sort of building out your capital raising arm of your business. Um, so would you be able to share what's sort of your process for, um, raising money for your deals. So let's say you just meet an investor. Um, let's say you you know they're accredited or have a strong interest in investing in real estate. Sure. What's your process once you meet them to converting them into an actual investor? Um, so to back up, we actually have a, um, you know, we're, we're always looking for investors. And, and um, you know, I think the best way to start is to just, what everybody does talk to your, your sphere of influence as people like to call it, right. Your friends and family. And, and you'd be surprised if, you know, how many people are, are interested in, and it's an awkward conversation to have because you have a prior relationship with these people and probably somewhat of a personal relationship with these people. But, you know, that's a huge thing because they already have that first level of trust with you. So, and an investor's worst nightmare is losing their money, right? So they're thinking, always thinking worst case scenario. So, you know, they're saying, well, you know, I've known, you know, Jalen's been my son's friend since, you know, for 10 years. He's not, he's going to do everything in his power for this investment not to go sour. So, so really, you know, starting with that friends and family um, sphere of influence, and, and you'd be surprised how many, if you're successful, they're going to tell their friends and their colleagues and say, Hey, invest with Jalen, because, you know, I just made 20%. I'm making 20% return on this deal. It's unbelievable, you know, um, and, and getting tax benefits off of it. So, but, you know, to answer your question regarding meeting an investor with no prior relationship and determining whether they're in credit or not, you know, we usually have an initial call with them that lasts 15, 20 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, they're, they're 
the call is really them vetting us, but we're vetting them too, right? So we want to know about their prior experience in investing. And then, you know, we'll chat about our what pre, what deals we previously just done and and how those are shaking out and return metrics on those. And then we'll, you know, if we feel like there's somebody that, you know, is potentially accredited and um, would be a good fit for for investing in our deals, then we'll we'll pitch them on, you know, briefly pitch them on what we're trying to ra- currently raise capital for. And, you know, usually that conversation will end with us sending them an executive summary um, on the deal or deals and also an investor suitability questionnaire, which is basically a bunch of information about their personal financial situation mm-hmm. that will tell us whether they're accredited or not. And then we know we can move forward from there with them as a potential, you know, limited partner in, in one of our deals. Yeah. No, I'll add my two cents. I mean, our, our process, once we get them on the phone is very similar, but uh, you know, if you're starting with friends and family, I think the the biggest thing is just talk about what you're doing, you know, tell people what you're doing. And um, you know, what I found with, you know, my, my close circle of friends and family is, you know, a lot of the people that I thought for sure would invest were the ones that were just like, Hey, well, congratulations. That sounds fun. And, you know, a couple of people who I thought would never invest ended up saying, wow, that sounds awesome. I'm really interested. Can you tell me more? You know, and, and what I found is just by telling people what you're doing, a lot of people will self-select. A lot of people will, will start asking those follow-up questions and, you know, that's, that's really who you focus on. So um, end of the day, talk to more and more people about what you're doing, you know, spread the enthusiasm you have. Enthusiasm's contagious. It really is. And, you know, let people self-select, let people ask questions, you know, and a golden question that I, I love is when you're telling somebody about it, you, you know, at some point you can just say, Hey, do you know anybody who's interested? You know, and once again, people will self-select with that question. You know, it's very low pressure, you know, for you asking very low pressure for them on the receiving end, you know, but if they're interested, once again, they're going to self-select. So, yeah. So have you guys ever been in a situation where um, someone is interested and wants to invest with you, but they sort of um, don't want to be a passive investor? They sort of want to be more active in a deal. Um, how do you deal with that? Um, do you guys mm-hmm. just tell them no, or do you sort of try to make room and try to bring them on? And what's, what's pretty much a good response to that? Yeah. I mean, for, for us, it's high. We get that a lot for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also, you know, I have, I think 30 plus management clients who I ask all the time, like, Hey, you should be investing in these deals instead of just trying to buy two family, you know, six family and family properties on your own. Um, but for us, it's very highly dependent on the type of deal and probably more so on the investor's experience. So, you know, if they have no previous experience in real estate in general, like why, why would you want to join venture with them? But if they do, and they're bringing that aspect to the table and providing that value, then it's definitely something we consider because that's an additional level of value that, you know, it's not just somebody writing a check and signing an agreement and, you know, getting a quarterly report. So, um, you know, I think it's really, you got to really evaluate the situation properly. And, and again, you know, like I said, take a step back and say, you know, don't get tunnel vision into, we only want, you know, limited partners and passive investors. 
um, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people out there that can provide significant value through maybe their operation or just their general knowledge of an experience to, you know, what you're trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think something that Dan said on the answer of the previous question was, you know, on that investor call, you're vetting the investors and the investors are vetting you at the same time. Um, you do have to make sure it's it's a good matchup, you know, and end of the day, you've got to make sure that, um, you know, your investment opportunity works for, for the person coming in. So um, I, I would say, don't be afraid to tell somebody no. Um, I told somebody no a long time ago, and they, they've actually partnered with us on several deals since, you know, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, be honest with them. And um, there, there are, there are times where you'll be able to find synergies with people, but there's times where, you know, you, you just have to have, you know, the, the fortitude to say, I don't think this is a good deal for you. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like you want X and we are providing Y, you know, so from, from what I'm hearing from you, I don't think this is going to be the best opportunity for you, but, you know, maybe here's how we can partner in, in future endeavors type stuff. So um, I, I would say just, just be honest with people, be forthright and, and people will respect that. Definitely. Yeah. That helps a lot. Um, yeah. So Dan, I know you do, deals different than just your typical apartment deal. I know most in the thing that's popular right now is you buy an apartment or maybe it's a one to four unit, you fix it up and you raise the rents, but you're actually doing redevelopments and RV parks. So um, what's the reason for you doing sort of something out of the norm? Is that, is it easier to um, just get a deal? Um, Are they easier to raise capital for or get better returns? Yeah, I mean, kind of all, all of, well, I wouldn't say they're easier to raise capital for, but somewhat all of the above there. Um, you know, you, it's tough. It, real estate's tough because what I've learned over the years is there's a very low barrier of entry, right? Um, there's a lot of people out there that can purchase a two-family investment property and they don't need any type of license or qualification to do so. Um, so this creates an environment of, you know, competition. So really, you know, you have to think outside the box. You have to be creative. You have to separate yourself from the herd. And and that's really how we landed on RV parks and campgrounds. You know, the apartment, the market was getting super competitive. Cap rates are getting compressed. And like, you know, we, again, the whole take a step back and evaluate things like, what are, what are we doing here? We can't buy things at five and six cap rates. We're, there's no meat on the bone left in the deals, you know, for our, after we pay out our, our investors. So for, you know, for us, it was really just, we got to go in a different direction. Maybe the market will cool off. You know, the other aspect of that is you got to be creative when you're sourcing your deals. You know, there's a, there's a lot of brokers out there that are, that are peddling a lot of, a lot of deals. And, uh, Mm-hmm. Our motto has always been go direct to seller first. Um, and we actually created a system that, you know, it's more of a data information system to gather, to gather, you know, contact information for, for owners and just hit the phones and start calling people who own properties and, and try to get them to sell them to you. What's the worst mm-hmm. that's going to happen? They're going to say no. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, that's, a lot of people fall into the trap of I'm just going to do what, you know, the next guy's doing, the guy's doing next to me and he's successful. So I'll be f- successful, but 
that you know the markets quickly get diluted and 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 especially in real estate you know i did that construct big construction project a couple of years back 2019 we completed that but haven't really been interested in doing another one because everybody's building new construction apartments now mm -hmm. there's 400 new market rate units in downtown Albany alone. And that's not, there's, you know, three other large Metro areas within 20 miles and um, there's new construction happening there. So how can, you know, this not be getting diluted, right? So we, we saw campgrounds in RV parks as something not necessarily that people aren't paying attention to, but just a less competitive environment with, with better returns and, you know, I think like self-storage was like that a few years back and, and mobile home parks in some respects. And so, you know, you, you kind of got to not so much be, I always say I never want to be a pioneer, but, you know, I don't want to be at the back of the line. So maybe, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere towards the <laughs> front of yeah. front of the line. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think quick answer to that, you know, is, is, is you keep your finger on the pulse of the market and you're ready to pivot is what it is. And, you know, what, what Dan's doing is exactly that. He, he knows his market well, and he, he made a, a, a pivot to something that was working a little better than the traditional model. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of wisdom in that, you know, but knowing your market and knowing the dynamics of what's going on, going on, you know, are going to give you that, the, the information you need to be able to, to make those changes. So, um, we got time for, for one more question, Jalen. So, you know, if, if you've been saving one up, now's the time for, now's the time for it. Yeah. My last question actually was um, real estate at the end of the day, it is a business and um, it's very hard to do it all alone. Mm -hmm. So how do you properly vet a potential business partner and make sure they're the right partner for you? Um, you're really in a, you're sort of in a relationship with them for five, maybe 10 years, and it's very hard to just sort of get rid of them. So how do you make mm -hmm. sure that you have the right person and they're really on the same page as you? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, because I think that's where a lot of business partnerships fall short is both parties or however many parties there are, don't really sit down and properly evaluate like what it is that they're trying to accomplish and, and what, each person's bringing to the table and they kind of just jump in and say, well, you, you invest in multifamily. I invest in multifamily. Let's join forces and we're going to be twice as big. Well, that's not really the case. Right. So, you know, I think for me, I, I've had, I've had business partners come and go over the years. And, you know, I, I feel like right now I'm in a pretty good spot with, with the partners I have in place with new Scotland development. And, you know, I think that was a process of saying, okay, what do I do well? And what do I not do well, more importantly, and, and who can I find, you know, what, what type of person, what type of professional, what type of skill set do I need to find that fills that gap? Because if you're just partnering with people who do the same thing as you, it's never going to work. Mm -hmm. And that's, and that's a common mistake people make. I've seen it. I've seen other business partnerships go sour over that very thing. Um, and so every everybody should be bringing something different to the table not the same thing and and if you can find the right you know potion there you're going to be in in good shape so yeah yeah and i i mean it, it is a relationship and you're right and i i would approach it the same way you approach other relationships you know is 
um, you know, try to collaborate on smaller things before you jump into bigger, bigger deals, you know, so, you know, our, our company came together pretty quickly, but, you know, we were collaborating on underwriting. We were collaborating on a lot of things together, you know? So um, once, once uh, you know, first person that I, you know, first person out of the four Oaks crew that I met was Eric Shirley. And right after we met, we started sharing our underwriting. You know, we, we were looking in the same areas and, you know, when a property would come over across my desk, I would, you know, do my, um, my, my quick analysis of it. And I send it over to him and, you know, slowly over the course of several months, we, we built up, you know, trust in, in each other. And we, we knew that we, we had similar ways of thinking of things and everything else, but, you know, without that initial collaboration, we never would have, you know, agreed to partner on something, but, you know, I think it's the same thing with any other relationship, you know, whether you're, you're dating or, or, you know, or a marriage or anything else is, you, you have that get to know each other time, that dating period where you're collaborating before you, you know, tie the knot on a deal that's going to put you together for, you know, seven or 10 years. So, well, that said, we are pretty much out of time here. So one question for each of you to wrap things up. Um, and Dan, you're going to be able to go first on this one. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, you can uh, check out our website at newscotlanddev.com, all social media outlets. Um, New Scotland Capital is, is our acquisition syndication arm. So Instagram at New Scotland Capital. My personal email address is dan at newscotlanddevelopments.com. Um, and I'm happy to talk to anybody anytime. I love, I love meeting new people and learning about, um, you know, what they're doing and, and sharing knowledge and, and for everybody to, to benefit from. So. Love it. And, and for anybody listening, you know, his contact information is going to be in the show notes as well as the website. So definitely check him out, uh, check it out and uh, contact him. If, if there's anything you heard, that's, uh, um, it's interesting to you. Jalen, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, if you want to reach out to me directly, the best way is probably on Instagram. My name is mm-hmm. at Jalen Brown. I'm also on LinkedIn. I actually do have a free gift for your for your listeners as well. Um, awesome. I realize I have some pretty unique information given my institutional background. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons deals fall through is because of poor or lack of due diligence. So I actually wrote a guide to help with it. Um, it's for completely free for um, active and passive investors. And you can find that at arlincg.com slash ebook. Um, there's currently no upsells um, right now, <laughs> maybe one in the future, but hope just hope want to spread the word and hope it helps someone in the future. All right. Sounds good. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes so that uh, anybody who's interested can grab that uh, due diligence uh, handbook. So, so to both of you, you know, thank you very much for coming on the show today. You know, it was a, it was a great conversation, good time, and um, happy to happy to share some some time with you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks, Brian. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, 
tap subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.